This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to the show, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming up this week, we round up all the headlines from a flood-hit MIPCOM and discuss Channel 4's deal to bring Sasha Baron Cohen back to the UK. Also on the show, Electric Ray boss Carl Warner is in the studio to talk about his OAP scripted reality show, Close to the Edge. And finally, we have a couple of previews, including Gold's new Robert Lindsay sitcom, Bull. That's all coming up on Talking TV for Broadcast. Joining me in the studio is entertainment producer Stephen D. Wright and Kula Anastasi, Director of Programming at Lifetime and the Crime and Investigation Network. Uh, welcome to you both. Hello. Thank you. Good morning. Have we seen the Bake Off ratings? 14 million. 40, well, over 14 million for the peak. I wasn't watching. I haven't managed <laughs> I to catch like up I've... yet, so no spoilers, oh, please. Oh, have you managed to avoid the, who well, the I've been is? away. I've been at MIPCOM, so I've completely missed it. Okay, well, we better not talk about it too much then. <laughs> You're not a fan, are you? I'd rather eat cakes than watch it, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm the only person in Britain that, you know, a total loner. I was watching a programme about Dennis Healy. What about the betting scandal? Did you read about oh, that? Oh, yes, absolutely. What did you make of that? Well, it's ridiculous. Every TV show that's pre-recorded shouldn't be allowed to go to a, a live bet because it's so easy to cheat. You know, I don't think TV people would cheat people, but it's very difficult to keep a secret out. That, you know, that, off. Well, that's the suggestion here, isn't it? That BBC employees have either been doing it themselves or tipping off their friends and family about it. I remember years ago when I used to do quite a few list shows, Channel 4, they would occasionally do bets and I'd say, no, no, just don't do bets on them because sporting events are sporting events. Mm-hmm. A pre-recorded cake show is not the same. And clearly you're just back from Cannes, aren't you? I am just back from Cannes. Give us your war Literally story. Over, oh, gosh, I've got a very long and drawn-out um, sort of life story from Saturday night in Nice Airport, spending three hours on the tarmac and in the car park at Nice Airport with lots of other TV people. And, and we felt obviously massively sorry for people with young children, but there was a blitz spirit definitely going on. And we managed to find the last hotel room in Cannes, sorry, in Nice, rather, um, and sharing a room with one of my colleagues, which I've not done before and I don't plan to do again. But, um, we made it to Cannes eventually about 24 hours later. And the rest gone. of the market was okay for you guys? Yeah, the rest of the market was really good, actually. And I think, you know, once we'd all kind of shared our tales, watching the river of water yes. down, down the back of the ground. Yes, I think was a line in our story saying that there are a lot TV of execs were trapped in bars and restaurants. Yeah, having to <laughs> walk draw, to... draw a lot of sympathy, <laughs> exactly. I wonder why. Walking to the Martinez in their feet mm. yeah. was, um, was a funny one. But, um, yeah, no, it was really good, actually. Really, okay. really good, really well, busy. Well, let's, let's stick with Mitcom and round up a couple of uh, bits from the festival. Uh, So after all the build-up focused on monster dramas like BBC One's War and Peace, uh, it turns out that some of the bigger MIPCOM headlines were created by new entertainment formats. Uh, NBC Universal is piloting a game show for ITV based on popular app QuizUp, while Taupa's celebrity format Dance, Dance, Dance was also creating a buzz on the Quasette. Elsewhere, there was no less than three rock climbing formats on show and other highbrow treats, including Zodiac's Bikini Island. Uh, NBC's factual and entertainment production boss, David Mortimer, said it all pointed to a desire from international broadcasters to take more risks and move away from traditional singing talent shows. Um, Kula, do you think our analysis is right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we go to um, to the markets and obviously to the screenings these days and expect to see lots of fantastic scripted output and not just from the bigger studios, from the sort of more traditional kind of factual distributors. Obviously, um, Fremantle and Zodiac as well have their own scripted pieces. And obviously, I'm massively excited by War and Peace, which just looks stunning. But which I, you're, you're doing in the US, aren't you? We are. Yeah. Our, lifetime, um, our Lifetime channel is in, in the US is, is has acquired War and Peace, um, which we don't have access to sadly um, but yeah the, it, it's going to be such a beautiful piece of work but generally on the on the unscripted format side I think the fact that there are so many new things for us to see this year 
at MIBCOM. Um, and as myself, as a factual buyer, it's really exciting to see perhaps older formats being kind of reinvented and, and offered out to perhaps young, younger audiences, which we haven't seen as much recently. I mean, even on our own stand, A&E are now sort of selling out things like Alone, which is re- reinvigorating the survivalist format um, and take, I think it's a left field production where they're taking 10 guys off to an island and whoever makes it to the end of the month wins half a million dollars. And actually what we found is that they didn't even care about the money, it was more about the experience. So it's again taking these traditional formats and then but kind of mixing in in what's going on in factual TV is really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about Quiz Up. Actually, I play that myself, so um, I'll be excited to see how that yeah, how that pans it, it, out. I mean, they were they were going hard with it. They were they had this competition, didn't they? Where you could uh, take part and win a car potentially. Yeah, well, the car was sat out on the on the road, so we could all have a good look at it. Yeah. I didn't quite fancy it myself, but um, yeah. Quiz Up, Stephen. Um, like Bake Up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a uh, Quiz Up person, I'm afraid. No, but you love a good entertainment format. I love a good entertainment format. What have, nice. what have you made of some of the things that have well, been I mean, reported on? It, 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 I mean, the thing is, it just it's, it swings and roundabouts. You know, everyone can tell that singing formats are dead. So there has to be something new. And so let's bring in the new. I mean, that's always good news because that'll bring in some more new ones and da-da-da-da-da. People still need to be entertained, you mm-hmm. know. Dramas and all the rest of it are expensive. Entertainment shows are still what you want to turn on on a Saturday night. So there's a different market. It's a different thing. Entertainment's never going to die, and a good entertainment format will reinvigorate the world. Bikini you know? Island? Bikini Island, yes, sounds great. Sounds absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Although I'd love to talk about the three rock climbing formats. They yeah. sound really exciting. <laughs> well, it's something you'll be participating in, probably, will uh, you? Absolutely, yes. I'm a great rock climber. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> One of the new shows uh, over the course of the week that came out was uh, this thing called Eden, which K Films is making for Channel 4. Mm. Uh, although it wasn't being sold at the market, it will task participants with creating a Garden of Eden style social paradise uh, in a remote location probably in scotland we think yeah, what do you much, make of this much like the last one castaway yeah. I believe. <laughs> well, castaway yeah. you know which gave birth to ben fogel you know to me it's a bit like oh here we go again mm-hmm. however as in all tv formats one percent of a difference a slightly different take a bit of a change can make all the difference and suddenly it's it's exciting again because yeah. you know there's nothing new under the sun really what well, struck me most about Eden, actually, is that, yeah, I, initially you read it and you think, absolutely, that's Castaway all over again. But actually, we are we are in different times. And I think the fact that we're so connected and we have our smartphones connected to us sort of 24-7, the fact that you've got a group of people choosing to go off the grid is actually much more interesting now than perhaps it ever was. And I'm mean, quite intrigued to see what happens when you've got families and groups of people just opting out of society altogether. It sounds pretty attractive, if I'm, if I'm uh, honest. Do you think there's a bit of a trend towards self-filming as well? The, the Channel 4 have done it with the island with Bear Grylls, haven't they? Absolutely. Although you'd argue yeah. they've got some pros in there, but what, well, what do you make get, of that? Uh, well, they have an embedded crew like yeah. the island, I mean, in which case it's mm. not self-filming. It's, it's you know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's uh, subtle filming or something, you know what I mean? It's, there's, there is a difference, but I mean, the idea of people filming themselves is is to be encouraged, you know? Um, whether it's a budgetary thing or whether it's an editorial decision or what, I don't know, or intimacy issue. I think it's, you know, yeah. it's and it's it, an element it, of authenticity as well. And I think we're so conscious as producers and commissioners that we're often criticised in reality shows for constructing and it's very easy to, I don't know, Bear Grylls actually lives in a hotel 10 miles down the road, that it's very easy for us to mm. be open to those kind of criticisms. So I, I think it's a wink to, to that mm. as well. Authenticity is a word I hear commissioners use yes. quite regularly these days. Why... why? Ah. 
Why? <laughs> that, that's a cynical. It's gap not. It's from not. Me. I'm not being cynical. I think it's. A, I think it's a good word, actually, and you you sort of understand what it is. Authenticity is a meaningless term. It's a bullshit PR term <laughs> that sounds. It's like we used to say edgy. You know. Now we say authentic. I suppose what it's, we actually mean is we haven't made it up. Um, is basically what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, reality is the complete misnomer of what reality shows are. You know, they're not reality. They are produced and all the rest of it. So authenticity is not the key buzzword or it might, it might you know it might be in for the moment but you know it's not yeah. true uh, so i've kicked a hornet's nest there well no no <laughs> it's just it is, it is it is to me it's a, it is a buzzword that you know it should be sort of killed just giving you away know. my secrets <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll move on um to channel four in fact um talking of authenticity uh, the broadcaster has this week invested in spellthorne community television uh, the new indie set up by former objective boss andrew newman and borat star sasha baron cohen uh, good to have Sasha back. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's been away too long, really. And, you know, his roots are at British TV. I mean, that's you know that's where he was born. That's where he was nurtured. Uh, and it'd be great to get that comic sensibility back on screen in whatever form it takes. So, no, I'm a big fan of this. I don't know how authentic Spellthorn <laughs> Community TV is. I don't know what the Spellthorn community think of it. But, um, but no, it's exciting. They say they're going to help encourage new talent, which... Can only be a good thing. And is that where community comes in? I wondered about the title yeah. as well, the community title. Absolutely. And I think we haven't seen new sort of young talent coming through on Channel 4 for a while. So absolutely, it's very exciting to see. We'll be keeping a close eye on that. Here's, here's, a, here's a cheeky question. Uh, the original aim of Channel 4's growth fund was to back companies, small, very small, unknown, talented indies. Does giving multimillionaire Sasha Baron Cohen a wadge of cash count as backing new talent? Let's go back to the authenticity argument. <laughs> it's a difficult one because obviously Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't need to have a minority stake in his business. You know, anybody would back him or he probably doesn't need backing. He probably doesn't, but no. If if it's a signal to the world that they're after new talent in comedy, then it's a good thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I mean, Sasha's not doing this for the money. That's one thing. You know, he, but are Channel 4 doing it for the money? Well, don't know. I mean, I, you know, I would, I would go, I'll err on the side of caution and say, no, I don't think they'll be going after money because they would have done that with other companies. But I think that what they want to do is, is try and, you know, get, get their fingers into the pie that is Sasha Baron Cohen. He was a Channel 4 face. That's what he, you know, he's one of their old stars. So why not try and have some sort of ownership or whatever? But um, it's difficult because, you know, you don't really think they need investment from the channel. But but, but the the notion of a small company giving money out to, to you know aspiring comedy writers etc. is a good one, definitely. So okay. is it is it is it a commitment to that investment going forward and then just supporting whether these people need investment or not? It's an investment. It's a, sorry. It's a commitment to. Breaking new talent, whether well, that, it's comedy or That's what or the press it. release is all about. That's yeah. what it feels like. You know? yeah. So it doesn't sound like it's Sasha Baron Cohen making shows. Exactly. It sounds like Spellthorn Community Television. Yeah. What a terrible name. No, they've um, spelled it out in the yeah. press release that they're, they're trying to back new talent. So yeah, uh, they've clear, they're clearly aware of that question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, Andrew Newman and 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 uh, Sasha Baron Cohen are a match made in heaven. Let's see what they can produce. Okay, uh, let's stick with talent for a moment and turn to Robert Peston, uh, who this week left the BBC to become ITV's political editor. Uh, as part of the reported £350,000 a year deal, uh, he will also host a Sunday morning politics show. Are you a, a Peston fan, Kula? I am, I must admit. I've been um, following his reports since, we, you know, we were following since um, the 2008 uh, crisis and it's it's always a joy to hear him commenting on whatever's going on that day and actually I, I can't remember what it was he was on a couple of weeks ago yeah, that, 
quite casual piece. Yes, it was loose, wasn't it? It was laid back. I can't remember what it was. the Prime Minister. So I think actually it's a genius piece of um, talent acquisition there by ITV. He's got an accessible style. You know, even in in the commissioning that I'm doing, if I can elevate any kind of project I'm doing with a decent piece of talent, he's not quite Robert Peston, but you know, we do our best, then it's always going to be of value and generate greater interest in the project, the the programme or the channel in itself. It's an awareness thing for me. Do you think um, he's right for ITV audiences? It's always a struggle. The, the, you know, the, what Peston brings to the BBC might not work on ITV. I mean, that's the, that's always seems to happen when they poach these big-name stars. They always seem to kind of fade away a little bit on ITV because the environment... You know, when you can be a rebel on the BBC, it's different to ITV. I don't know what it is. And... Uh, I've got slightly sort of, oh, here we go, will Robert Pester now do a sort of sub, sub-Andrew sub Marr-style show or something? You know, I mean, hopefully not, but I hate it when ITV poaches from BBC and BBC poaches from Channel 4. I, you know, Very often so, it doesn't work out for the talent either. Well, this is it, and it's, it's like, you know, I look at the one show, how, how that kind of fell apart after they went over to ITV, and that's what I always think. is like, mm. you know, so if Peston can do his Peston style... And still and get away with it, you know. I mean, there's all the stuff in the press about saying he has to wear a tie now and all this kind of Why? You know what I mean? It's like you can't, you don't wear it on a BBC. You don't need to wear it on ITV. I mean, maybe he'll turn up in a kind of velour tracksuit now because he has to be even more <laughs> casual. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, good luck to him. But it's, I always think it's a bit eggy when stars jump from one to the other, and it's always touted about big money, which I don't want to. I don't want to think about Robert Peston earning three hundred fifty thousand a year. You know what I mean? He doesn't earn any more than any other sort of political editor on the BBC. I don't know what they pay, but can't be that much. I don't know. I'm just yeah. Guessing. I'm sure he's had a nice, healthy pay rise, and I think the job on itself, the political editor role, probably wasn't quite enough. So they had to offer this yeah, other okay. show to him. There was an interesting piece actually. They were talking about it on the media show this week about um, the, the chemistry, perhaps or perhaps the opposite of chemistry between him and him and Tom Bradbury, and that in itself may invoke kind of some kind of viewer interest if there's some sparks flying between the two of them as he throws to Roberts in Westminster. Definitely. So we'll there's keep an eye out for there. that. Absolutely. Okay, finally in the news section, uh, nine weeks to save the indie sector. Uh, that's the rallying call from some producers who will be responding to Ofcom's Terms of Trade review, uh, which launched officially this week. Uh, the media regulator is set to make its conclusions before Christmas in what will represent a landmark moment for UK producers uh, who have enjoyed regulatory protections since 2003. Uh, Stephen, are you going to be writing to Ofcom? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we'll be starting my <laughs> petition. Post already. <laughs> we'll be starting my petition later on today. Um, no, I mean, this is really worrying because it's one of these things where they said they weren't interested in privatising Channel 4, then somebody walks out of Downing Street with a let's privatise Channel 4 on his T-shirt and, you know, they're, they're messing around with the BBC. It does feel a little bit like they're just going to screw up the indie sector. And I don't know why, because I don't think anybody's calling for this. This is what seems to be odd. It seems well, to apart be... apart from Channel 4? Channel 4 the only ones calling for it. Uh, my instinct is 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 a bad one on this. I, I think this is a mistake, and I think Channel 4 aren't going to do themselves any favours. You know, the indie community is what keeps Channel 4 going. If Channel 4 gets privatised and have pissed around with the terms of trade, will the indies then support Channel 4? I don't know. You know, it seems to me this is like an ecosystem. 
And, you know, it's all about sort of community and protecting each other. And, you know, it's hard enough to survive. It really is in TV, whether you've got terms of trade or not. So to, to start to alter that balance, that ecosystem, it will, will damage the, the whole sort of business community. I mean, this is not a good thing, I don't think. What do you make of this debate? It's yeah. interesting what you say, actually, Stephen, about the ecosystem, because, you know, we're a, I'm a multi-channel um, broadcaster. We're not affected by the terms of trade per se, but we rely on indies being able to bring us projects, mm. low cost because my commission budgets are nothing like what they are at the terrestrials or some of the bigger digital broadcasters. So to get my own projects made, I, you know, we're relying on the indies getting their bread and butter from the bigger, from the bigger broadcasters. So it impacts the ideas that we get as well. My rights requirements aren't like um, the bigger channels. So we, we always try to find interesting business models. But if that's going to impact what an indie can bring to me, absolutely affects all of us mm. across the board. So, so personally, you're, you're uh, you know, generally reasonably supportive of Terms of Trade because they've created this system and, and the health of the sector is largely a result of it. Absolutely. And it, and, it, and it helps us further down the EPG as well to just have our own ideas and to benefit from the ideas that are coming out of the intersector. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree. Okay. Nine weeks and the, the clock starts here. Mm. Uh, that's your news for this episode. Uh, my thanks to Kula and Stephen. Moving on, Structured Reality has given us Essex Simpletons, Painfully Posh Londoners and Randy Geordies. Uh, now a new set of stars has entered the fray and they're not exactly cut from the same cloth as their reality TV peers. Uh, BBC Four's Close to the Edge puts pensioners in the spotlight, opening up the lives of a jolly group of grandparents in Bournemouth. Uh, the show was created by Sony-owned Electric Ray and executive producer Carl Warner will be with us to explain all. Uh, before that, though, a clip. Uh, confiding in his friends at a local cafe, John is on the hunt for love after spending the last six years alone. When I looked after my late wife, it was to the end, the bitter end. Yes. And you get to the serious bit of where I promised her she would never go in hospital or a nursing home. And she said, you will look after me, won't you? I've kept off the market for six years because you think, I don't want to start doing that again. Right. The thing is, you're left on your own. You can either carry on in this world and be miserable or you can carry on living. If I ask any female, surely they'll think there's going to be a commitment. I'm not so sure you're right. I, I think there could be older ladies, actually, who would quite like to be in that position but without any commitment at all. How do you find them, Bill? Paul and I are going to, a, to, a, to a, a, a sort of party, it's a sort of business meeting, Yeah. where there'll be a lot of people there and it'll be a good way to network, to meet other people. Come with your clubs in the afternoon, we'll play a round of golf and then the party in the evening. And you just intermix? Yes. <coughs> yeah. Oh, good. I think you'll like it. I'm up yeah. for it, yeah. <laughs> Carl, really good to have you with us. You just intermix. That's all you do. <laughs> intermix. Yeah. Uh, what I love about this show is it's just it uses all the format points of the the structured reality, all the things you expect to see on these shows. You know, it builds to the to the night out at the end, but it's just with a, a completely unexpected group of people. It's a sort of surprising um, proposition, I suppose, in that sense, and surprising also that BBC Four were kind of interested in um, scripted reality or scripted documentary. So, can you take us back to the process where you came up with the idea and then yes. pitched it in it's weird because we had started talking at lecture where we started talking about surprising ways of doing scripted reality so like what who would be the last sort of cast of people you might think about doing that type of show with and we started thinking about old people and then i started talking to tom mcdonald who 
just by chance, had also been talking to Cassian uh, about a similar thing, like how, but more about the form. How could you use that form to tell other people's stories? So we, we began to think about old age and, and how that type of show could help tell their stories in, in a different sort of way. So we went and started to do some casting to find out if if they would sort of take to it. Uh, and we did a few workshops uh, and they were kind of brilliant. It was just as good as any young person doing scripted reality. And I think I think that's the kind of thing I've taken away from it. Um, I was probably as guilty as anyone else at thinking older people kind of get quieter as they get older, you know, they're sort of quieter lives and they wind up. But this group of people are living their life to the full just as much as any 20-year-old um, and, and love the experience of, of kind of crafting their stories and sort of acting but not acting. You play on those preconceptions quite, quite a lot, don't you? you? You're thinking, God... Yeah, this is unusual. I wouldn't expect old people to be behaving in this way. Yeah, totally. And I think I think that's the point of the series in a way. It's to remind everyone that just because you're getting older doesn't mean that your your sort of passions or desires uh, are on the wane necessarily. So they are looking for love just like everybody else still, you know, if, if even they're in their 80s. So Dee, one of our, our main characters, uh, she's looking for love, but she's also blatantly just looking for sex as well you know she, she wants a physical relationship and that might surprise people there are also characters that are starting new businesses in their 60s or 70s or are still really passionate about their careers and, and again I think you know it, it challenges that assumption or, or prejudice even that, that as you get older you, you want to live a quieter life these lot don't how did you find your cast so, well, we started looking, I mean, you know, when you start looking for sort of old cars, you look around, but you think, oh, we'll go down to the coast and we looked in Eastbourne. We looked, I can't remember, up north somewhere as well. But we immediately kind of made quite good connections in Bournemouth. And we were looking in areas where there were bigger populations of older, retired um, groups of people. And I think Babs was one of the first people we met who's the uh, business entrepreneur who's in episode, um, well, she's in all the episodes, but in episode one, she has a networking uh, event and falls out of her friend, uh, Chris. And, and then from there, we started to piece together, like you do in other structured reality shows or scripted reality shows, start to piece this sort of network of friends. Um, some of them knew each other uh, previously, some of them sort of knew of each other, but weren't actually friends. And, and, and that's the kind of producing of it, really. And they're a sprightly, spirited bunch, aren't they? Was that always the aim? I suppose the other great thing about scripted reality or or using this type of form is that programmes about older people tend to be sort of one-dimensional and we wanted to sort of tell the broad range of stories um, that older people are playing out in their lives or living out in their lives. And I think there would have been something a bit sad if we just cast people who were very sleepy or sat in an armchair all day or in a care home, which is, again, the sort of, you know, assumption I think some people make about when you get older that's the sort of life you're going to live we we look for people that were full of life because um, we wanted to say something about old age that actually it's not as bleak as some people might think I, I, I came away after making it thinking I'm actually quite looking forward to getting old you know it looks quite fun you know like I go down to the golf club they're having the time of their lives um, so yeah they're, they're a really bright funny and really complex cast you know some of them you think god I really like you and then other times you think oh I'm not so sure about that what you know because they, they've lived such rich full lives was it quite was it uh, was it reasonably straightforward to convince them to expose their lives in this way? I suppose they are They are sort of letting us in quite a lot. You know, they talk quite honestly about difficult subjects. So John in, in the clip, they're talking about um, dating for the first time and, and that his wife had died six years ago. And, and in other episodes, uh, some of our characters talk about being a carer for their partners, their lovers, and how difficult that is. So so I think some of that was, was challenging for them to kind of let us in. But I think what they were really excited by or really loved is is taking control of those stories, being able to drive uh, the story themselves. And, and again, that's where I think that the kind of form is quite interested in, in this space. Uh, people have different views of how 
scripted reality or, or scripted documentaries like this work. Um, but they always come from a truthful place. Uh, you know, anyone that's made them will know that you can't kind of make things up for people. You, you kind of produce things, set things up, um, but ultimately it has to come from a truthful place. Um, and I think they really liked that. and it, it allowed them to sort of connect with whatever it was they were sort of talking about in the scenes. So how does it work if they've, if they've got something they think is worth doing a, a, a piece of filming on? Do you do, do they come to you or vice versa or do you talk to them about what's going on in their lives? Exactly, exactly. You sort of have big sort of conversations about what's going on in their life. So John, let's take John for example. Um, John, uh, stand-up comedian, was still still working as a stand-up comedian. Um, uh, used to sort of operate Sooty and all of that on the City Show. He'd been single for six years since his wife died, and so we'd start to talk to him about, would you ever consider dating? He was like, yeah, but I'd love to go out there and love to meet. And you know, he talks about wanting to get his leg over. That's what he's, you know, really after. You know, he wants a bit of a kiss and a cuddle and to get his leg over. He, he says himself. And so we said, well, look, let, let, would you be prepared if we set you up or, or introduce you to someone else that was looking for love? And we met Dee, who he hadn't met. So, so immediately you've got this situation where you know one, the two people, both single looking potentially for a date and then we made sure that they met at the networking event so we, we, we don't script their lines we're not sort of saying John why don't you say this to her we say there'll be a woman there at the bar uh, we're not going to tell you her name but you just go to an approach her and, and see how things be go yourself. be yourself and if you if you feel comfortable maybe try and get her number uh, so we sort of suggest that if he felt uncomfortable about it we, he would say no don't worry if he said oh I don't I don't like that we wouldn't do it but he was like great I'll have a go at that um and and that's the scene that plays out in episode one. Um, that is often how um, this type of show works. You know, you, you, you've got an in, and you you have a, a sense of what your out might be. But but the words spoken in the scene are, are come from the characters. Do you have a, a different duty of care on this compared to something like Made in Chelsea or or Towie? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think we we sort of treat them like we treat all our contributors in any any show you know with a high level of duty of care you know we made sure they had access to a psychologist you know if, if, if ever the experience became too difficult for them I think you're mindful of the fact that they're older and that physically it's not as easy for them to spend hours on set and, and I, I suppose the slight difference was that whether they were completely aware of the type of show so we, we spent a long time showing them episodes of TOWIE or Made in Chelsea say look this is what I'm and explaining how the form works you know if you if you work with younger cast you can kind of assume or you think you can assume at least that that they would have seen those shows so so, so, so I think that, that we, we spent a bit more time in that sense, but um, but they all totally love them, and, and all their families really supportive of them being in it too. Can it run and run in the same way that these other shows do? We really hope so. <laughs> that's, that's the yeah, ambition, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, we've had a great response to it already. So everyone that's seen it uh, um, has been very kind about it and thinks it's funny and a different feeling. And it's had an amazing sort of press reaction too. And for BBC Four, that's a great thing. It's really punched above its weight in terms of getting their show talked about. So I think that's success. But yeah, I, I think if it came back and back, that'd be great, you know. But we're, uh, every programme maker will say this about their show, but we are genuinely really proud of it. We sort of love the cast um, and it's been a real passion project for Sophie, our, our series editor, and Meredith and Chloe and everyone that's made it. So so, so we, we sort of just love the show. Where it will go next, who knows? And you guys seem very busy from the outside looking in, just yeah, more generally. Yeah. Well, we're doing... You've got um, your Salford series. We're doing a Salford series, so that starts... Um, I 
th- I think quite soon, or it will be on air quite soon. Um, so that's really exciting. Again, I'm going to be sound like I'm really biased. That's where you take your ma- the Manchester or old Manchester United. That's boys, right. Then. That's right. So it's Gary Neville, Giggs, Skulls, um, Nicky Butt, Phil Neville. They bought a very small football club up in Salford, and they taken over the ownership and the running of the club from buying grassy to fixing the toilets. So it's this kind of slightly odd. Um, fish out of water experience for them although it's in the world of football uh, it's very unusual for them to be in, in at this type of football club um, so it's funny and, and, and quite dramatic as well you know it, it's it's the story of them trying to get this tiny club um, promoted in its first season and for them to fulfil their ambition of getting it right up into the football league over the next sort of five, six, seven years so yeah so that that's good and we're, we're doing a new series for BBC Two and a, and a series for ITV I don't think we've announced them yet but, um, but yeah no it's busy I, I mean it is it's hard <laughs> you know like i think everyone that you probably speak to say how difficult it is you know even even when you're busy you don't feel like you're busy enough um and then and then when you're too busy you feel like oh god i can't do all of this stuff you know so it's uh, has that been an adjustment because obviously you're a yeah. commissioner yeah it's it's um, previously yeah i think i've said to a few friends like when i left i, I said oh i don't for a second underestimate how hard this will be and i'm like I've underestimated it. It's really hard. <laughs> so, uh, but no, it's fun. We're having a good time. Good. Well, uh, all the best with uh, Close to the Edge, uh, which continues next Tuesday at 10 p.m. on BBC Four. Finally, this episode, it's previews time, and back with me is Stephen D. Wright and Kulana Stasi. Uh, we'll start with Earth's wildest waters, the big fish. Uh, where Ben Fogel follows eight expert fishers as they compete for the best catch in some of the most challenging environments in the world. Uh, The six-part BBC Two series is produced by the Natural History Unit, and in this moment from the first episode, uh, contestant Joe is about to take to the water for the first time. Normally in the the kayak with my husband, Johnny, so normally he paddles me around like a princess whilst uh, I fish and he paddles, so it could be an interesting day for me today. Jo only discovered her love of angling when she met her childhood sweetheart when they were both 16. When I met Johnny, it became apparent that if I was going to see him at all, I would have to go along fishing with him. But soon enough, his passion for the fishing rubbed off on me. If I haven't got Johnny next to me, it will be difficult. I think that I'm so used to having him there and it's going to challenge me to see what do I actually know. But I would hope that in my head I'll have a little Johnny to try and tell me what to do for the best. Uh, Did this reel you in? Oh, <laughs> I was just waiting for whatever fishing pun you would do. <laughs> I, knew uh, I, I didn't want to disappoint. Did it float my boat? I don't know. Did it hook me? Yeah. I'm not sure. It was about fishing. It was really quite uh, fishing <laughs> orientated. And I was, I did think, because it looked quite big, the opening trail or the, the kind of pre-title tease is very exciting. Lots of yeah, it looks travel massive. and, you know, people falling into water and being eaten by giant fish and all this. And you think, oh, God, this is going to be really... I thought it was going to be a mix of natural history and a little bit of fishing. But lo and behold, it's actually a fishing programme. It's all about fishing, and by the time you get to the third uh, task, nine hours of standing in a lake fishing and mainly not catching fish, you are tested as a viewer if you are not a huge fishing fan. But it's a very well-made show. I mean, it is it is good. It looks good. But I could have done with a bit more actual natural history stuff or a little bit of culture or something, because they're in these amazing places. But then they're just sitting in boats or standing on the water and going, oh, nothing, nothing yet. Oh, still nothing. And it's like that. It's a tough thing to make exciting. But then I don't watch Bake Off. So, you know, it is technical, isn't it? It is very technical. I know 
a lot about fly fishing now. <laughs> and actually, you know what? Coming to it, I you know read the title, read a bit about the blurb, and I was like, oh, I've no idea what this is about. So I think the title missells the show. To be honest, mm. I think they could have bigged that up. I agree. Because actually, as a non-angler. Is that, is that even a phrase? Mm. As a non-angler, I know nothing about fishing, as we've said. But actually, if you're wanting to bring in new viewers, which I guess they are, you could big up the competition element a little bit more, she says quite pedestrianly. <laughs> um, and actually, as we've, as um, Stephen mentioned, it is a cross between MasterChef and Bake Off with fly fishing but, I mean, and the, rod and casting and all these things. They're in Iceland, aren't they? They, they are in Iceland. Iceland. It's like fortitude with fishing. <laughs> and it's beautiful, absolutely yeah. beautiful and stunning and what we have is basically MasterChef and you're going to lose someone at the end of it. Mm. What we're missing is a little bit of content. Mm. I, um, I mean, I thought there would be more sort of underwater footage where you'd see the fish that they were yeah. going to catch or, you know, they talked about in the third task, uh, this inland lake in Iceland with the biggest brown trout in the world that are kind of prehistoric. And and you're like, oh, you've got me now because there's probably some sort of natural history reason for this. But no, they kind of left that bit out. And, I, and to me, that would have been an easy addition mm. for them to put in without diluting the competition element and filling the sort of dull bits. Do you know what I mean? I'm but, quite excited when it kicked off between Laura and Jeff. <laughs> down. <laughs> over their positioning in the water. Over the etiquette so. of where you uh, cast your, your line. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really tough thing to, to judge because, you, you know, somebody who didn't catch a fish went through to the, to the following episode and the one who got the fish got booted out. And it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and so it's, it, technically it's a, it's a tough thing. You know, it's, it's an art, not a science or whatever. So I don't know whether or not non-angling viewers will, will stick with it. That's the problem. I think anglers are going to love this. This is their, you know, there probably is 10 million of them. So BBC Two are doing the right thing by saying, OK, we're going to give you an angling show. But all the other fishing-related programmes have always been much more Bear Grylls style, you know. There's plenty of them around, isn't it? River monsters and things like that. Do you think like the that, BBC's you know? got a bit bogged down with the sort of PSB values of this show and, you know, really teaching people what it is like to fish and the skills that it requires? I, I mean, having come from, coming way down from Factual and Docks, where we're well aware of how important fishing program, fish programming is, I thought it was quite smart. You know, the popular, you know, making it accessible mm. is, a, is a pretty smart thing to do. And I can see a, a format rollout in six months' time at MIP TV. So it'd be interesting <laughs> how it pans out. If you stick with, I mean, I'm very excited to see the safari, what looked like a safari episode. That would be nice. Mm. But where they take it on beyond that, I know. Um, I think if, if I... they'd have gone with a, a like you know Southeast Asia as their opening one, where you yeah, do maybe. get 20, twenty foot catfish that will pull yeah, you yeah, overboard, yeah. that might have been a more <laughs> se- sexy opening. I was watching Whereas a bit of Iceland it... in the rain was a bit like. Mm. Yeah. I was watching a bit of it with my eight year old. He goes, "Is someone going to get eaten by a shark?" And he stuck around to wait and see yeah. if someone. That was, was it. I was, I was a bit like all these giant fish. Yeah. And, but you stuck with it, though. I did stick with it. I yeah, did, because I had to yeah. see who was going to go home. That's yeah. the genius of it. Perhaps it was... I was if, let if, down by the ending, actually. Yeah, like, I, 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 didn't, I thought it was a bit of a kind of fudge ending, but, you know. Okay. Time for us to move on. Uh, the Big Fish casts off on the 11th of October at 8pm on BBC Two. And now for something completely different. Uh, it's the latest original comedy from UK TV channel Gold. Uh, produced by John Stanley Productions, Bull is a studio sitcom that stars Robert Lindsay as an antique shop owner with a group of dysfunctional staff. Uh, here's a taste from the first of three episodes where new girl Faye is given her first customer. Uh, on hand is Beverly, guiding her with some less than subtle coughing. I could probably take this <clears throat> off your hands for £1,000. <laughs> £2,000. <laughs> I mean, 500 pounds. <laughs> 250. Oh. 
200 pounds. <laughs> 190 pounds. 189 pounds 95. 189 pounds 95. Done. What do we make of this? Poor old Maureen Lipman. The one clip that you show, <laughs> yeah, you just got her coughing right the say. way through. I'm a big fan of the sitcom, having confessed my love of keeping up appearances uh, from 1990s. And I kind of felt, I was saying to Stephen, I kind of felt like I was back in 1992, which is nice. Did I love it? No, probably not. I watched all of it and chuckled a little bit um, here and there. Um, It's a nice idea. Well performed. The cast. Nice set up. The, the, yeah, the cast I mean, it's a great cast. It's a great cast. And you've got Matt Lucas in there, who's always hilarious. But um, I didn't love it. I'm sorry. You're being studiously quiet, Stephen. There was something in it that did, didn't gel with me. The the sort of the idiot staff having two morons in the shop as opposed to just one <laughs> felt odd. And the lack of reality mm-hmm. making an omelette with a Fabergé egg in an antique shop is a is about as far from reality as you can get. That started that kind of stuck in my throat a bit. The you know, the sets looked amazing. Mm-hmm. The cast were incredible. I loved the old-fashioned feel of it. I really did. And brilliant actors. Nearly everybody in there is a mm-hmm. comic star. And, you know, Tim Brooke Taylor's in there for, for a non-speaking role. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. And then this weird kind of hole in the middle of sort of, it's not quite surrealism, it's not quite something. And that just ugh, felt odd. It felt odd. And the problem with, with, with a comedy is initially it's always difficult to say whether you think they're funny or not. But I've seen surreal comedies that you laugh at straight away. I remember the first time I ever saw The League of Gentlemen, that it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. It was. It shocked me how good it was. This shocked me at how it didn't make me laugh. It, and I wanted to laugh. You know what I mean? There was David, The David Dickinson sort of impression is great. Robert Maureen Lippmann's really character looks amazing. I mean, it would have been great to have had a bit more from her. The two unknown actors, the, the two junior staff, got in the way to me. And it was like the the rest of it, you've got this amazing kind of, you know, ingredients. And then somebody's forgotten to add a bit of salt or something. Do you know what I mean? It, it, that's what it, it, it But it might improve. I mean, that's the thing about comedies. That the, You know, something you watch and you think, ugh. And then two weeks later, you're, you're quoting the lines and all the rest of it. So I like the setup. I like the antique shop. But it felt like no one knew anything about antiques, which is a bit sort of silly. But it wasn't funny silly. It just felt stupid silly. You know what I mean? The, 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 uh. There's a big slapstick stunt right at the start as well. And I, I, was, I was sort of rolling my eyes at that a little bit. Yeah, which they then repeat. Yeah. They then repeat. And it's yeah. like, you know, what this shows actually that on the positive side is it's a very brave commission because it isn't obviously funny. It's not a laugh a minute. You know, they talk about three gags per page in a, in a US sitcom and one gag per page in a, in a UK sitcom. This was one gag per 15 minutes to me <laughs> in the traditional way. But the setup was so odd and the characters were so odd. And it was like, and they'd obviously committed to it. You know, everybody had gone into this and gone, yeah. This. So to me, I kept thinking, am I missing something? Or does it get better in episode two? I mean, you know, does it start to sort of, you know, it, it just felt odd to me. But it shows that the commissioners are risk-taking which I applaud, absolutely. You know, people are trying out mm. things. And this is, it felt old-fashioned, which is a deliberate sort of, you know, and thumbing their nose at kind of uh, the mockumentaries and all those kind of, you know, this felt like an old episode of Rising Damp or something, <laughs> you know, or Keeping Up Appearance, exactly. That sort of old, old trad comedy. Mm. So that was good, but it bugged me. I was so wanting to love this. It's always the thing with comedy, you've got to give it a bit of time, haven't you? 
I mean, always say, don't they? Never judge a comedy from the pilot, don't they? So um, I, I think it was the girl, I think, that, that I had most issue with. It was an utterly pointless character. Yeah, but I mean, you'd hope there's, there's a romance me, inevitably growing there, isn't there, with the mm. other idiots. So, well, I mean, I wanted to see more. You'll be watching a second episode. That's the, I that's might the, do. That's the I might do just it? willing it to be funny. And actually, I was desperate for Maureen Lippman to do more. Yeah, I love her. Absolutely. And it, you think, surely you're not going to cast such a brilliant, brilliant actress. She, I mean, she probably had like three lines in a half an hour. She coughed more than she did anything. Exactly. Yeah. We heard all the lines yeah. and, and the thing Robert Lindsay and, and, and Maureen Lipman and and then you've got two people who look like they've come out of drama school that was the thing that threw me it was like they're the comic geniuses or the great actors let them do whatever you know I'd watch them chewing the scenery which they did in one scene I think when everything <laughs> collapsed but anyway so yeah. some positives but uh, generally it, you're not you're not well convinced. no I mean you know if you judge a comedy on does it make you laugh it didn't make me laugh if you judge a comedy on is it a risk taking venture that may get better then, then yes, it did. But it's a very tough thing because I felt like I was missing something. And, I, you know, it, I don't know. What did you think, Jake? I'm sort of with you. Although I was quite pleasantly surprised, actually. I, I went in being quite cynical, but I laughed more than I thought I would. I mean, the UK TV channels are, are, are producing more and more comedies. I mean, that's, that's to be applauded. You know, they haven't got the big budgets that everybody else has. And they are producing stuff that is good. So, you know, you're going to have the odd dud every so often, but the more they keep bringing them out, the more they keep saying to the to the world of writers, bring your stuff to yeah, us. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we need. And I love seeing old actors. I mean, Maureen Lippman can do anything as far as I'm concerned. It's great to see people come in on screen that you haven't seen for a while. OK, on that positive note, uh, Bull opens its doors on the 21st of October on Gold. Uh, and I'm afraid it's time for us to shut up shop for this instalment of Talking TV. Uh, thanks to all my guests, Kula Anastasi, Stephen D. Wright and Carl Warner. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes and tweet us using the hashtag TalkingTV. Uh, until next time, I'm Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 